Good all be seated. Take a seat and we're going to practice the rule of life. I want to give you a moment in the midst of this beautiful weather today to take a time for silence and solitude. Just meditate on what God might be whispering to you today. So will you right now bow your heads with me and exhale all the automatic thoughts, all the ruminating thoughts, all the anxious thoughts, and lay it before God's house in this park. And inhale the transcending presence of God, his peace, and his calming presence in your life. Cheryl Young, May 15th. Spending time alone with me is essential for your well-being. It is not a luxury or an option. It is a necessity. Therefore, do not feel guilty about taking time to be with me. Remember that Satan is the accuser of the believers. He delights in heaping guilt feelings upon you, especially when you're enjoying my presence. When you feel Satan's arrows of accusation, you are probably on the right track. Use your shield of faith to protect yourself from him. Talk with me about what you are experiencing and ask me to show you the way forward. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to me and I will come near to you. All God's people pray. Amen. The first time I ever heard of this concept called In the Big Bang Theory, Episode 16, Season 1, 2009. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the show. Non-optional social conventions. Penny, who was a neighbor of two physicists from Caltech, which no one knew this show would take off to be the number one show in America. Actually, my friend from Caltech, the vice president, is the one that leased CBS that space. I thought that was interesting. But anyway, Penny was trying to convince Sheldon Cooper an Einstein-like genius who studies astrophysics and theoretical physics, that Leonard's birthday, his roommate, is worth celebrating and that you should give him a gift. And Sheldon wouldn't fall for it. He said, ah, it doesn't make sense because if I give you a gift that's worth $50, then you'll have to give me a gift of $50 and then we'll do this back and forth and so on and so forth and then when I die, you'll be $50 richer. What is the point of that? It's tertiary and perfunctory. Social, non-optional social conventions do breed the conceptions of perfunctory questions, which I hate the most. Perfunctory gifts, perfunctory letters. How many people ever received a perfunctory letter from someone, an acquaintance from your job? You read the card and it was like, yo, what's up? It was like meaningless. And because these non-optional social convention exists that creates culture, we can't escape them. And we're always in them, perfunctory meetings. And then we talk about the next meeting and we'll talk about what we're gonna talk about at the next meeting. There's a, actually a book called Death by Meeting. You should read it, it's awesome. For me, my least favorite non-optional social convention question is, ask someone next to you, how are you doing? 
how are you doing? That question in one sense could be the most important question that you can ask someone. This is a deep question. But when someone asks you, acquaintance, or when you're meeting up, how are you doing? You're not really asking how you're doing. I really don't want to know. It's just a non-optional social convention, therefore I'm asking you. And then you have to, in return, say, well, how are you doing? Well, I'm good, I'm fine, and so forth and so forth. But when we're caught up in doing these perfunctory and tertiary conversations, what begins ends up happening is there's no space to really talk about how you're doing. When we study the, the global looming mental health crisis in the world, who has conducted it? We are not feeling very well. And that's why today's message is why, as Stephen King, the author, yes, the horror author and genre, did write short stories, says that the most important things are the hardest to say. Why? Because we know the attention of this era is fragmented. I mean, we've seen this kind of in a painful way in La La Land. Emma Stone went on the Oscar for Best Actress, for their Best Actor, sorry. And um, when she was interviewing or auditioning for you know, a part that was dramatic, a phone call, a, notifi a notification would come on the phone, and the judges would completely miss her crying, dead crying, for the scene she's rehearsing. So we know that if we're going to say something important, we're going to have to time it right. But where is that time? So we never say those things. We never say things that are important anymore. They're rare and far and few in between. And today I want to talk about how the gospel and how Jesus in this passage, in the very beginning of this book in Mark, which is the first canonical gospel written, tells a story about how God longs to hear the most important things weighing on our heart. How he scans those things. How it's important to him. And that's good news for a culture where there's no sacred space for that. Howard Schultz, who created Starbucks, came up with the conception of a third space because he saw it in Italy. He saw the neighborhood gathering together, playing chess, drinking coffee, espresso, really good coffee, that's important too. But there was no third space in the US. This is not Twitter where you banter about stupid things, but the third space. But even Starbucks itself is not a safe place to talk about the deepest matters of our heart. So how do you begin to share those things? How do you begin to even feel safe enough? That's what the gospel shows us in this text. So I'm going to read this text to you. And then we'll go from there and ask the question why the most important things are hardest to say. Mark 1, verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. 
I want you to catch that part again. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you could make me clean. Verse 41. Jesus was indignant. So the question is, was Jesus' indignation, was his anger toward the leper or something else? Well, clearly, verse 41 finishes with he reached out his hands and touched the man. Now, that's very important to observe in this passage, in this narrative, because in ancient antiquity, we know that leprosy is not contagious. We know that leprosy is just death of pain sensors, which leads toward destruction of your muscles, atrophy, and just accidents waiting to happen, which disfigures your body. But in the ancient world, people thought it was contagious. Therefore, there was a lack of touch, a social isolation that took place in the life of the leper. They were forced, especially if you were Jewish, they thought you were unclean and therefore you couldn't touch them. So this man, this leper with no name, nameless, faceless, begs Jesus, please, you can make me clean. And if you read the context of the first 39 verses of Mark, you see Jesus healing the sick. You see Jesus casting out demons. You see Jesus making brokenness, broken things whole. And that's why this man, for the first time, had what Obama would call in his book, an audacity of hope. And came to Jesus. So when Jesus says that he was indignant, the very definition of indignation is to be angry at the mistreatment or injury. Jesus was weeping and grieved by the pain of this man. Just like Jesus is grieved by our society, and you could not be a leopard and be, have to physically isolate yourself to socially isolate yourself in your inner life with others. And studies clearly show that more than half are, and that's just reported, are feeling disconnection with others. So the question, why the most important things are the hardest to say, why is that? First lesson we learn is because we know deep down inside that 99% of our conversations are usually what? Perfunctory and tertiary. There was a tragedy in this narrative was the man being socially isolated for how many years or months or days from his family or for anyone, any contact. The greatest tragedy of our generation is that inwardly we are socially isolated, socially misunderstood and not seen, not understood. And the science says very clearly that that's how most people feel. If you want to see a counselor, you got to wait months. And they're doing it on Zoom. So I have something that the gospel meant 2,000 years ago. The good news, Jesus meeting someone out of physical isolation can be parallel to those of us in social isolation inwardly. 
right? Studies show that New York City has 22 million people running through these streets. But that density only compounds the loneliness. And many times this is how I feel about life. I feel like life is a competition. It's like a bachelor. About the different degrees and levels of drama that we all have experienced in our life. And as you grow older, some of your parents might receive an unfavorable diagnosis. But then, I'm dealing with my own chronic neurosis. And I'm competing now because I have to try to pay attention to your pain, but I'm also in pain. Tell someone next to you, I'm in pain too. I'm not going to say that. So then we're weighing when is the right time? When is the right space? When do we get to talk? Not tertiary, not perfunctory. When do we get to do real talk? Let me tell you the answer. Science is telling us, never. That's why the mental health crisis is looming and growing. Harvard economists at Harvard Medical School said that we don't even know what happens to a global society that weighs in mental illness. And the workforce is, in a way, thrown away because they can't operate functionally. The economic crisis that would come from that is very, very high, that cost. How are we going to create that space? What does Jesus do? So the most important things are the most difficult and the hardest to say because we know people's attentions are fragmented, not because they're cruel or evil, because they themselves are struggling, competing chronic neurosis and certain diagnosis of people's different lives. We're fragmented, our attention. So then how do we help us? We know we have to say the important things. How do we help each other say them, the most important things? Well, we can't make it less difficult because that's why they're the most important things. <laughs> they're meant to be vulnerable and they're meant to be valuable and we can't just say them when no one is listening or when people are fragmented. Well, what does Jesus do? Well, if you look at what Jesus does to read and scan the most important thing of this man that was socially isolated, was the second lesson we learn from this text is learn the seismic power of small gestures. Tell someone next to you, small gestures not grand gestures i really dislike grand gestures you're probably dealing with some type of personality disorder just kidding i mean sometimes you are but grand gestures are not sustainable that you can know this by when you begin to date expense i mean i had a friend who took his girl out to like expensive restaurant for three dates and she was like wow this is going to be my life and the fourth day was at mcdonald's Grand gestures are not really applicable in a, in a humdrum, mundane, everyday existence. How do, we, how do we feel love today? Small gestures. When a parent 
my mom and my dad used to add meat on my plate. I love that. I miss that. There's no one to do that for me today, so I just take it from my kids now. <laughs> but what does Jesus do? The greatest longing of the man's heart who's been socially isolated, physically isolated, and this is ironic and odd for the New Testament because Jesus doesn't like being touched. And I'm like Jesus in many ways like that. I don't like being touched either. I would not go to the spa or get massage. I don't like people touching me. It's just not my love language. Just stay there. I'll stay here. Let's, let's shake. Highly introverted. And when you look at the New Testament, Jesus very clearly, when people come for healing or demon possession, Jesus says, okay, you stay there. And he speaks a word. He says, okay, it is done for you. Go home now. Tell the testimony to the priest. Jesus never touches them. One time someone touched him by accident. Remember the 30-year, the, the, the women bleeding? Probably angina, some type of chronic bleeding. And, and then Jesus goes, who touched me? And the disciples like, what do you mean who touched you? There are a million people around you. I know someone touched me because the power went out of me. I don't like being touched. Right? Jesus always goes to the solitary place. He moves away from people. Man, people are too much. No, but here, Jesus touches a man disfigured, full of leprosy, full of dirt, unpresentable. And the text says, Jesus was indignant about the pain in his life and his heart and the treatment that he experienced and said he reached out his hand and touched a man. And Jesus said, I am willing. He said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. What's the heat? What happened first? Did he feel the love and the, that touch that healed the deepest part, the deepest part of his longing? Or was he happy that his leprosy left? I think it's the former. I remember during my doctoral graduation, people flew in. Some people drove in five hours to Boston. And we rented this house in the boondocks because we had to fit 40 people, 45 people in a house. And it had no convenience stores. And I forgot something very important. And because, you know, I was trying to look good, I was avoiding fast food and all that, you know what I'm saying? And so I forgot to get my Coke Zero, you know what I'm saying? To you, it might seem tertiary. To me, I have 30 cans of Coke Zero in the fridge, ice cold. And I only allow the kids to bring out one at a time. And we all share it during the dinner table. If kids try to get their own coat, I'm like, no, 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 put that away. And we only bring it out one at a time so it's the right temperature. Okay, so I'm a bit neurotic with this thing. So I call Dr. Andrew Lee, who's coming in from the airport with his family, Haley. And I said, Andrew, please, this is very important now. More than you being here. Get some Diet Coke or Coke Zero from the airport. Because I've been through Boston Logan Airport. There are convenience stores everywhere. And I said, please get it. And, and, and of course, Andrew is going to get one, right? Haley goes, no, no, no. Andrew, 
They're far away. By five. And I called him again because I was afraid that he might have forgotten on the way home. I said, did you buy my Diet Coke? He goes, yes, I bought it. Haley bought five. That day is when Haley and I became best friends. Because Lee, I know it's too cheap to buy five. He's like, why? Buy two. Five. No. That surgeon is the cheapest surgeon. <laughs> I mean, she bought five. Such a small gesture. I mean, they're $5 each, right? But still a lot. But that's the building block. Those are the building blocks of so relationships. Small gestures. Jesus' small gesture was touching a man that's been untouched for how long? So learn the seismic power of small margins. If you end this passage and end this message today, the man, Jesus tells this man strictly not to tell people what happened, but he does it anyway. Something scalable happens with this small gesture of love, this touch. I wonder what he told people. That this man healed me from leprosy or this man had the audacity to touch me when I haven't touched in years. And that was more healing than the physical healing. I wonder what he said. Because in years or months, it's the first time he finally felt understood. I want to leave you with what Stephen King says in the body. In a short essay, it's not horror. So please stand with me and we'll end. Stephen King says, The most important things are the hardest to say. They are the things you get ashamed of because words diminish them. Words strengthen them that seem limitless when they were in your head to no more than living size when they were brought out. But it's more than that, isn't it? The most important things lie too close to whatever your secret heart is buried, like landmarks to a treasure your enemies would love to steal away. And you make revelations that cost you dearly, only to have people look at you in a funny way, not understanding what you said at all. And why you thought it was important that you almost cried when you were saying it. That's the worst, I think. When the secret lies locked within, not for the want of a teller, but the want of an understanding you. What healed this man? From the emotional social isolation or the physical leprosy that made him untouchable. The most profound thing happens when you're loved. It heals something deep within us when someone understands. If there is any news about this passage that applies to us, it's one thing about who Jesus is. Now, you might have heard who Jesus is here and there from other people, from your own experiences, but this story says, whatever you are going through in your life, Wherever you might be, whatever neurosis you're grappling with, 
whatever diagnosis your parents are grappling with, just two words, he understands. That's more powerful than any too many words I can say. He understands. Tell someone next to you, he understands. Those two words sums up what the gospel is, the good news of the gospel, why the gospel is powerful, why the gospel is needed, and why the gospel is needed in our lives. So let's make this our prayer today. Will you lift your hands with me? Today, it, with all your angst, with all your lostness, whatever is going inside of you, I pray that you understand he understands. Heart of mine. Heart of mine. Why must you stray from one so fair? You run away. And one more time. One more time. You have to. You have to. The heaviness of needless shame. Oh, heart of mine, come back home. Heart of mine, come back home. You've been too long, out on your own. You've been too long, out on your own. And he's been there all along. He's been there all
can be liked. People can be attracted to you. But if you want to be loved, it's impossible to be loved without being understood. That means that someone has to have the luxury or the extravagance to be able to actually see you. Not what you do, not what you are, but you. And who are we? Some people say, well, homo sapiens. We evolved to this, this magnificent apex predator in this earth because we're so smart. Some people say, we're this and we're that. We're our jobs. We're our humor. We're our intellect. That's what we do. That's not who we are. And this restlessness won't ever go away until we realize something very important. That we're the beloved. That means someone has to see your story and invest in that story. That's what Jesus did in this passage. And folks, that's what I'm calling our community to do. And we do it well. We could even get better. I just want you to, as we close today, think about the people in this city that are just dying for connection. Dying for the good news to be understood. Can we pray today as we close that you would say, Father, help me see people like you do. Help me see their story. Because that's who we are, a collection of stories. Those stories have defined us, the pains and the triumphs. So you bow your heads for the benediction. Father, help us to learn to listen around us that might appear put together and poised doing things that are amazing an amazing occupation with financial stability yet deep down inside there is a disconnection that need to be healed help us listen and practice the power of small gestures May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Enjoy the picnic and the conversations. Amen.